Blog Talk Radio. Quiet, please.
please. All right, well, without any further hesitation, let me tell you about my guest, and I'm very excited to have him on. It's David Winning. He's the director, as I said, 14 features, 22 series, over 100 uh, television credits, and he's mainly known for his work on Gene Roddenberry's Andromeda, MGM's Stargate Atlantis, ABC's Dinotopia, and the HBO thriller Exception to the Rule, starring Kim Cattrall, Sean Young, and Eric McCormick. At 27, he landed directing gigs on the Canadian produced Friday, produced Friday the 13th, the series for Paramount Pictures, and he received three Canadian Emmy Award nominations. M. Night Shyamalan has cited Winning's episodes of Nickelodeon's Are You Afraid of the Dark, The Tale of the Dream Girl, as the inspiration for The Sixth Sense. His episodic work has received 24 first place places at the Houston Film Festival, a Gold Hugo, and two Silver Hugos in Chicago, and four National Gemini nominations for Best Director Dramatic Series. He's received over 60 international awards. In 2002, he received the National Award for the Director's Guild for Outstanding Achievement in Television Drama, and he's directed many international stars, including Daniel Baldwin, Patrick Duffy, Peter Strauss, William Devane, Peter Wilson, uh, Marky Post, Lance Hendrickson, Frederick Forrest, Jason Conry, Carl Weathers, Margot Kidder, Michael Sarris, and Bruce Boxleitner, Leslie and Warren Martin Mull, and many more. Recently, he directed Kevin Sorbo, and you know Kevin from, from Hercules, but you also know him from here. He's a friend of Rex Lake's movie. Um, he directed Kevin Sorbo, Robert Englund, and Bruce Dern in a trilogy of monster movies for the uh, U.S. Sci-Fi Channel and the Hallmark and Hallmark Entertainment. RHI Films New York and episodes of uh, Vampire Series Blood Ties for Lifetime TV and episodes of Todd and the Book of Pure Evil uh, for the Space Channel and uh, also he supervised and directed the Far North Adventure Series Yukon which debuted in 2011, Lost Girl for Showcase in the Sci-Fi Channel and a Rob Lowe Christmas movie for Hallmark. He's also known for the Power Rangers movie. So uh, let me, without any further uh, delay, bring on David Winning. Oh my Oh my goodness, I'm tired. How are you? I'm so tired of seeing that list. Is that all my work? Oh my goodness. I think that means I'm old, is what that means. That's probably part of your work, David. Well, no, I appreciate that. Well, it's a a sunny morning for me in uh, Los Angeles. You've called me so early, I haven't even actually had my orange juice yet, but uh, I'll try to be intelligent. Um, Well, I'm sure you will. So how's everything going? It's very very well, sir. I think I'm going to hire you as my new agent. That was quite the the intro. You got Uh, it. I appreciate that. (laughs) Oh, my pleasure. My pleasure. Now, I, um, I'm, I'm really fascinated as to, uh, you know, how you got started. Uh, you know, since at 27, you know, you were directing for uh, Friday the 13th. So how did, how did you work your way to that? Because uh, my listeners, by the way, are A-list all the way down to newbies and fans and, uh, and people at a variety of different levels, you know, or, um, you know, some people are, are very interested in breaking in sure. and working television or movies. So. Sure. Well, I, when, when you look at your resume like that, it sounds like it just kind of happened. But uh, I, I was, uh, I was, when I was a teenager, I just got, I got really interested in uh, making movies, and I was sort of in high school trying to desperately figure out how I could uh, maybe make this hobby into a career, which is, you know, fortunately what happened with me. But back then it was a little scary. And and in my uh, early twenties, I was making short films, and I, I was kind of working my way up to going to the standard route of film school. You know, told my dad I'm, I was raising money. I was working at the at an auditorium in Canada as a sort of a ticket taker slash bartender slash bouncer slash waiter and uh, raising money gradually, trying to go to film school. And 
in the 11th hour when I was about to, to actually book and go to the film school, I, I shocked my dad by saying, you know, I think I'm actually going to take all this money and make my first feature film. Wow. And once I picked him up off the floor and tried <laughs> to explain how we, we thought we would do it, I, I just, you know, thank goodness for being naive when you're young. And I just went out and uh, literally bought film stock in my 20s and uh, 60 millimeter film stock back in the days when people still shot film. Right. And we went out in the, the woods of Alberta and Canada and, and shot my first feature with extremely, very low budget, extremely little cash. But uh, we got it made. It took us about four weeks to shoot. Real labor of love. You know, it's that kind of early story where you're trying to get your first movie made. Right. And it was kind of, at the time, it was kind of a grand experiment. I think my dad was thinking, well, if this fails, maybe he'll get a real job. And so this this first feature that I that I shot that I thought was going to take about a year to finish took about four and a half years. So now I'm like 26, finally finished the the first film and actually got it sold and it actually it actually did well. So I I fooled everybody. I think Rex is what happened. I actually, I made the first movie and it actually worked. So and cool. I, I I still go into 7-Elevens occasionally and Storm is sitting on the shelf. So I feel proud of the fact that this first movie is actually still around. Wow, and, and so and it was called um, Storm. Storm. It was released by uh, Warner Home Video in uh -huh. 1987 or 88, I think. And then uh, the original company was uh, Canon, uh, Menachem Golan and Yoram Globus, the guys who ran all the Chuck Norris oh, yeah. movies and Sylvester Stallone movies in the 80s. They picked it up, and originally they made a really nice offer for me, covered all my expenses back then, and then they found out the film was only 79 minutes long, so there was a slight pause on the phone line and it was like I think the deal's off so of course I panicked and immediately offered to uh, shoot more shoot more film so in 87 four years after the original production began we got everybody together and shot another 20 minutes just to increase the length so that Canon would be happy and it became a theatrical release oh wow how cool I, I want to in uh, a few moments actually I'd love to talk to you about the difference between that when you bought film stock and, and cash out of your pocket, that that's not cheap film stock at that time. Um, and the difference and your distribution deal and the difference between today, where things are you know moving toward uh, you know digital and the distribution is different for uh, many reasons, and uh, we have platforms now that allow us to almost anyone to make a movie at any time, you know, sure. micro budget, no budget movies. So I, I want to come back and address that, but but let's find out. Um, from that early day to right now, what's what's coming up? I know Lost Girls is going to be on the Sci-Fi Channel, or was I mean, it just? Yeah, uh, I, just, but, I just finished this great series, Lost Girl, which is produced by. Uh, well, it's run on Showcase in, in Canada, and it just premiered in the states on uh, Sci-Fi Channel this past Monday, right. January sixteenth, and apparently it's getting really nice reviews. Chicago Sun Times and a bunch of others I've noticed have. Uh, Saying it's like the, the one of the reviews I saw this morning said it was the most exciting new original series since Battlestar Galactica, and I kind of stepped back. Wow, wow that's great praise. So uh, yeah, I'm sure the folks in Canada are really happy. So it's a uh, it's a really fun series that's uh, that's just showing up here, and I guess hopefully starting. They're they're running season one in uh, the states, so hopefully it'll develop a uh, a following. It's gotten a pretty good uh, fan base now developed in Canada. They're running season two. So, so the show that started on Monday is season one here. Yes, that's season one, and there's okay. uh, it's a short season. There's 13 episodes in the first season, and then there's uh, another 22 coming in season two. So hopefully, people will get into it, and uh, and uh, the fan base will build in the states as well, which would be great. Yeah, that's awesome. I mean, I I, uh, 
I ha I gotta say I have not seen it. I, I did D V R it but I have yet to actually get to it, but I saved it because I wanted to I wanted to check into the series. So that's cool. Very yeah, cool. What, what was also interesting for me too, you know, people have this people have this feeling that directors kind of just sit around waiting for scripts and you know getting offers on the phone. Stuff doesn't happen like that. I'm always I'm chasing after the job, just like any actor. So what was interesting was when I got the the uh, audition, as as they say, because directors audition too. Um, uh -huh. I flew up to Toronto. I was in L.A. It was like a twenty you know twenty two hundred miles up to Toronto, and I wasn't sure how the interview was going to go and. Uh, and I had the added uh, burden of really liking the series because I'd seen the first 13, and that always makes you a bit more nervous because oh, you think, I'd sure. love to do this. I'd love to do this show. And so, fortunately, it worked out. Wow, that's very cool. I mean, that's really cool. Uh, how long from uh, interview to uh, working, I guess, uh, just to give people it was an about, idea? Well, it was about six weeks. It's just one of those strange things. I, I flew up to Toronto, had the meeting, and, and I really didn't know if the meeting went well because you can never tell in auditions, you know. You walk out thinking they loved me and they never call, or you think they hated me and the phone rings. You know, it's like any it's like any job interview. And uh, I flew back to out west to Alberta, and the, there was a call saying that they wanted me to do an episode in September. So it was about six six weeks, wow. and it was shot in you know it's the standard TV production schedule where they'll prep for about a week and then shoot for about a week. I think I actually had a short episode. It was a six day episode. Normally there's seven or eight if you're lucky. And so we finished that in Toronto in September, and it airs uh, in Canada, actually, this Sunday night, the 22nd. And then I guess it'll show up eventually on Sci-Fi Channel. Awesome. So uh, let me ask you your experience, because we're talking about auditions. Now, the actor audition, you know, you go into a, see a casting director, you do a pre-read, or you, you have an interview with a producer, director, whatever may happen. Everybody says you're great, and they let you leave the room, you know, feeling really good. No one wants to say no to you, because maybe you'll make it someday. <laughs> you know, and, and they don't want to be the ones that say no. So yeah. you leave feeling really good. And... Uh, and and maybe rightly so. I mean, in other words, as uh, some casting director friends of mine, Helen McCready and, and for Champions, said, you know, we're selecting, we're not rejecting, so don't feel bad if you leave. It's, you know, only one person is going to get it. So it's, anyway, the difference between a director's interview and meeting than an actor's interview. Yeah, it is kind of strange. It's like there's people sitting around a table, and it's like, what do they want you to do, direct a scene in front of them? You know, let's, let's see how he directs. It's very <laughs> odd. I mean, directors obviously have, what I rely on heavily is, is the director's reel, as all directors have, which is hopefully the best clips and the most the most variety you can possibly find from your from your career, you know, westerns and sci-fis and kids shows, and try to put everything on the reel. Always throw in the Power Rangers, too, of course. Uh, yeah. And I, that's kind of what I rely on, and the one-page resume, and it's just really kind of sitting in the room, and and the producers are focused on you, thinking, will this guy waste our money? That's that's all. That's all they. You know, it's it's kind of a given that you're a good director. Obviously, if you've gotten that far, but they want to they want to find out how how well you fit in with the team. And what I've discovered, obviously, it took me decades to figure this secret out. Is that it, you know, it's 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 great to be a good director, but it's more important to be political. And I've uh -huh. I've I've <laughs> I've worked on the political side for years trying to figure it out just how how to, you know, impress people. And honestly, what's most important about, I think, from television producers' a vantage point is how well you'll fit in with their team, how how fast you'll shoot their show, obviously how good it will be, but it's almost, it's not the first thing people think of because it's, it's, it's business about money and the show has to happen quickly and efficiently and whether you're there or not, you know, they'll they'll get another director. So it's 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 a matter of how how good you are with the, watching the clock and 
and how little of their money you can spend to make the show. So, so as a, a director for higher on a TV series, you get a job like this. Who who is who's who's the person you lean on or rely on most to uh, help you fit into the team? You know, I mean, I mean besides well, your own skill at doing it. Yeah, it's, I mean, obviously it's the producer that I'm working for, but it's just, it's a very strange uh, dynamic because it's like you remember when you were in school and you had the substitute teacher come in, and uh-huh. nobody ever liked the substitute teacher, and it was kind of like it was the free day where you'd make you know give the substitute teacher a hard time. I mean, of course, I never did that because I was a straight A student, but of course, <laughs> okay. my 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 friends I know didn't really like the yeah. substitute. And and when you're directing episodic television, that's kind of what you are. You're the substitute teacher because the cast is all the same and the crew are all the same and you just have to kind of get get in there and be a kind of come in as a happy party host and make sure that they like you initially and then try to try to still get the the show made so that's that's the dynamic that's taken me a while to get used to too over the years what you'll find is with series is that eventually after two or three seasons they'll really isolate two or three directors that they like and they'll put them in rotation which makes sense because they'll find the directors that are most um that are doing they're producing the show that they want so those those people just they come back and they and they work over and over. And I've been, yeah, I've been lucky uh, enough to get into that rotation on occasion. That's on very shows. cool. Well, uh, a friend of yours, Peter Marshall, who uh, by the way says hello. And, Peter's uh, great. Love Peter. Uh, he works very he works very hard teaching teaching film and directing to the world. I, I've sat in on his courses and been in awe. I it's would not, love to do that. I've told him I, I'd love to do that. We, we 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 talk quite frequently on the air in a director series, but uh, but I, I would love to say it with Peter. That would be fantastic. Yeah, well, okay. it's, it's, I, I I'm I'm in awe because I find it it's a hard it's like breathing. You know, it's something that I've done so long, and it's kind of hard to figure out how to relate it to people and how to teach it because I have to kind of go backwards in my head about well, where was I when I was sixteen, seventeen, eighteen mentally about how I approached the career. You know. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Uh, what I was going to say about Peter is Peter. Peter has been has notoriously said, you know, um, you know, uh, if you're working a series, you know, in his case when he was working, for example, as a first AD or even as a, as a director, you know, that uh, you know the director comes in and, as you said, is a substitute, and you know, you get some guys with an attitude, and then the crew's like, okay, well, let's see. You know, <laughs> let's see how fast we're <laughs> going to move. Let's you know, watch him <laughs> fail. <laughs> right. You know, well, one of the most one of the most important thing too is you have to really you you've got to bond with people early. I remember the very first series I did. I did Friday the Thirteenth years back for Paramount, which is kind of a cult series in the uh-huh. in the late '80s. And I made the mistake of never visiting the set or the crew the first week of prep. I was just in my office making my little cartoons and drawings and thinking up all these cool camera angles I was going to do. And I literally walked on the set day one of shooting, and it was like, here's the cameraman, and here's the and I met everybody that day, and it was just a horrible way to try and work your way into you know, getting some respect and attention or whatever for how, you know, trying to get your, your episode put together. In fact, um, Rodney Charters was the, the the director of photography on Friday the 13th, of course, who went on to do 24 and all these other great series, but he started out in Toronto as well. Wow. But that's a, that's something that I've, I only did once, and that was the only, mis- that was my first mistake was, you know, you got to go to set early, you got to meet people, and you got to start bonding with the crew and the cast as early as you can because, they're not going to want to work with a total stranger walking in on day one. Well, no. This, see, this is great advice because, and, and one of the the tenets of of the approach of my show is that you know this is a business treated as a business, and and that all business, just like friendships, are based on relationships. Exactly. And it's it's who you know and who knows you and and how you treat people and 
and the respect that you give. And if you give them respect, then they'll get, then they're more apt to give you your you know their respect back. And and so uh, no, that's that's great advice. And, and also, Rex, I'd say learn to golf. Really. Right. Because I don't golf. I don't golf. I don't golf either. So <laughs> it's, really it's let me down so many times. That's where all the producers are on the weekends. They're golfing, and I, I've yet to learn to golf. So I may take some golfing lessons shortly. Well, that's cool. That's cool. I, uh, I, uh, I'll keep. I'm going to keep that in mind because I don't golf either. I don't. <laughs> so, um, can you uh, talk a little bit about the um, the difference? Between uh, film and television, because you—I mean—you do feature films, you do films for television, and then you do television series, you know, um, among other things. So, can you kind of uh, break well, down the differences between the? I think you know they—they they used to be a lot more different than they are now. Everything is kind of the same. Everything's run on a really fast schedule. I know when I did the Power Rangers movie in '96, uh, it was—it uh, was like a six-month schedule. There was there was two months of prep. And then we were shooting for you know three or four months. Of course, this is like a twenty million dollar plus budget. It was the largest studio film I've done to date, and quite a different schedule than uh, than the way things are now. And I, I mean, I haven't all of the movies that I've done, all of the TV movies have, have just been in, the, especially in the last ten years, have have been shrunk down to these sort of everything's a million and a half dollars for the TV movies. If that, I'm, they're actually doing micro budget movies now for under a million. And all the schedules are, you know, 16, 15 days, if you're lucky. 20 days is a luxury. I, I haven't shot a 20-day feature in decades. But uh, and and of course, television is in the standard kind of seven days of prep, seven days of shooting, or six days of shooting, depending on how it works. But I, I really haven't noticed a lot of difference, except that everything, everything has become faster. And you know, like the Cohen, I'm a big fan of the Cohen brothers, and their their kind of whole philosophy of making movies was to shoot for with less crew for a longer time. So they'd sh- they'd shoot on a, I think Blood Simple was like a 60 day schedule, and they and they have a very small crew and they're they're people and and uh, they would just you know make the film slowly and you know the 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 old days supposedly in the 70s, the the standard sh- shooting schedules were like two and a half pages a day. And, uh, you know, I, I typically am shooting like 10, 11, 12 pages a day now on television. So, you know, the pace has just really been ratcheted up. A good friend of mine in, in uh, Vancouver, we uh, he was working on iRobot, the uh, Will Smith big sci-fi movie uh-huh. a couple of years ago. And at the same time, I think I was doing an episode of uh, some some series, probably Andromeda. And we had lunch. We had, or I think it was, you know, we had lunch together and we were comparing notes. We had our call sheets across from each other. And my call sheet was was uh I think fourteen and a half pages plus inserts. Okay. And and this was on a you know a television episode. And his uh-huh. and his call sheet for my robot was seven eighths of a page <laughs> and I don't think they got it done. <laughs> you know, it's, it's a, it's a diff- <laughs> big big features are a different world. Yeah. You know? yeah, they are. But uh but my certainly my pace and the work that I've done recently has just been in increased. But you know it's 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 a labor intensive business, so I think people think, well, you 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 hire the crew for less time, it'll be it'll be uh, cheaper. And I've always felt like hire a smaller crew for longer, and you know take your time to make the make the make the show look as good as you can. Well, my sister is a producer and a writer and 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 an author, and she's exploring a possibility for a job. And they wanted ninety minutes in thirty in three days. Really? And I and I said, you do realize <laughs> that's thirty thirty minutes a day, you know. Yeah. And um, you know, it's it's my dinner with Andre. It, it'll work. <laughs> it'll work depending well, on the material. 
Well, I know, I know a lot. Some some of the features now are shooting at ten, nine, and ten days is what I've heard on some of these uh, some of these movies. And you know, the truth is, it's possible we shot exception to the rule. Kim Cattrall and Sean Young and Eric McCormick years back in Vancouver, and I think it was it was fifteen days, and it was so frantic to try and because we wanted to make give, have it give it that kind of big feature look, you know, a lot uh-huh. of wide, wide angles and take our time with these dramatic scenes, and so. The film looks very good, and, and there's a pace to it that's great. But honestly, it was like between action and, and between cut and action, it was just a scramble to go to the next set and running around and just trying to get the most coverage you could in the in the time you had. But in a sense, the good side of that is you really capture a, a sort of an energy that you wouldn't get any other way. You know, sometimes sometimes when I guess when movies are made slowly, you kind of slow down too, <laughs> get into a sort of a snail pace and. Uh, yeah. So there's there's a bit of an upside to trying to capture that frantic energy. Well, let me ask this then, because I think this is this is something I think people are going to be really interested. In. How do you get that big feature look? You were just talking about wide angles, you know. Let's say because a lot of people are making their micro budget movies, I think it's important to to look like what everything else looks like. In in you know, if you're trying to get a theatrical release or you're trying to get a distributor look at your movie, it should at least appear. Um, <laughs> You know, somewhat the same as what people are familiar with. I mean, you know, ex- with the exception, with the with the with the exception of the extreme, you know, breakout exceptions. Um, sure. H- how do you get that big picture look? What what can a director do? Well, I mean, I simple things. I mean, I like to rely on a lot of wide angle lenses, a lot of low angles, a lot of. Uh, I mean, obviously, you know, I've been spoiled the last couple of years because we're always shooting two cameras now, and uh-huh. with the availability of equipment, I think obviously people who are making their own movies should should think about trying to shoot two, two cameras um just to, just to just to give you that visual variety that you can that you you know that shows up on the screen just by having more coverage and less time and that's it's kind of a thing i think i think richard lester the beatles director started in the six or his, his claim was starting in the 60s that he started shooting two cameras and people were kind of you know poo-pooing it's like well you know it's not the classic style to shoot that way but I can't think of something that I haven't shot with two cameras in the last. Now, are you when you say that? Are you shooting master and and a two shutter close up at the same time? Or are you shooting from separate angles? Are you stacking well, your cameras or keeping that, them? I, mean, that, yeah, I can hear all the directors of photography cringing all over the world listening. Right. To that. It's, you've got to be obviously you're in the same kind of uh, angle because line. you don't want to have him trying to light two directions at once. Sure. Usually, usually you wouldn't shoot a master and a close up in the same in the same. Uh, Two camera setup, but you can certainly do a master and a medium shot, and then maybe a medium shot and a close up later with the with the second pass. But you know, like uh, Robert Rodriguez is famous for just kind of resizing his zoom lens during a take and just having the actors run through a a, a take one or two times and resizing, and then he's instantly got more coverage. It's kind of a sneaky technique that he uses. But uh, yeah, you definitely don't want to do opposing angles on uh, two cameras because you know they just. <laughs> I can see the the eyebrows going up on the DP. You're like, how am I going to light this? Right. You know, well, you, well, you can't shoot that angle because that's my light there that's in behind the guy's behind the guy's head. But, so I, you know, I don't. I, I think a big feature look to answer your question is it's the, the big feature look has changed a lot too. I mean, a lot of this kind of handheld frenetic pace that's that's come up in like things like the Bourne movies and the, you know the recent. Like even right. Blair Witch Project and stuff that changes what the big feature look is. So um, it's no longer kind of the. the I, I mean, I like to take my time with with the uh, exception of the rule. For example, had a lot of scenes in it that were uh, 
slow paced and, you know, the camera's got a little bit of a drift on it's on a dolly and, uh, you know, anything, anything that can, anything that you can, anything you can steal on set to try to give you that, um, glow or, or, or look like you took longer. I mean, it's, it's very, it's confusing. It's like, you're trying to, you're trying to make people think you took longer to make a film that you shot really quickly, you know? So it's right, like, right. it's like, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a kind of a, it's a dual purpose thing. It's like, you're not, you're not really, you're not really trying to, because you're trying to sell yourself as a fast director, but at the same time, you want to be able to pr- produce something that's going to flash and, and spark people when they're looking at it so that somebody will want to buy your movie. But I just, Absolutely. I mean, I, I get, I'm very envious now because I wish, you know, if I'd been in my, if I was in my twenties now and I had the whole access to digital and all the stuff that oh, wow. uh, people are doing nowadays, I think I would be churning out these low budget features because it just seems like it's just so much easier to make a movie almost literally by yourself and you know edit it in your basement on your laptop and, and you and you essentially end up with broadcast quality material i mean that it was such a struggle back in the back oh, in the old days back in the 70s and 80s well i mean the idea even being able to afford what we were talking about you know earlier raw stock i mean was made it most prohibitive i mean as well as Getting a camera, <laughs> it's yeah. a different, different, different world today. I mean, uh, and it's amazing because you can get great high definition quality with a go cam, you know, and stick it on somebody's head, you know, Absolutely. and ski down a mountain. I mean, it, it's just it's phenomenal what people are able to do. Um, any secrets that, and, and I want to get back into your work, but I, this is this is really cool. You, you, you're giving people an idea of how to, you know, how to shoot their movies. How about how, any secrets or tips to working fast and or working fast with your crew since, you know, you're at the helm and. Well, I think it's it's something I kind of personally just developed over years. I mean, obviously you have to be incredibly prepped. You have to you have to kind of plan your show out completely. I, I always do shot lists for my shows and I have for years and in fact I started this trend of actually having my shot list published on the call sheet every day it's the piece of paper that comes out that everybody gets the night before so they uh, cool. so they know yep. what, exactly what they're shooting but I also like to give everybody everybody in all kind of you know job areas even like the driver has my shot list and the uh-huh. caterers have my <laughs> the caterers have my shot list while they're cooking up the chicken oh he's doing a close up but I, I like everybody to have information because I just think it makes it a it involves people in the process yes, which, is, yes. which is always great and it gets people kind of into it and and b it doesn't when you're when you're working on a film set it doesn't feel like the day is endless for the crew it's like they kind of see what the plan is and um, you really I mean it's, this is this is filmmaking 101 but you, you've got to direct the movie on paper first and sometimes you have to direct it on paper a couple of times first before you actually get to, to set you have to think because you have to direct the, the the b plan and the c plan too in case your a plan somehow doesn't work you know the lighting isn't right or it snows um we were shooting my second feature in alberta uh, killer image michael ironside movie in 1990 it was uh it was all the, the first day of shooting was supposed to take place in the in the woods in Alberta, and we arrived there, and there was literally three feet of snow. It was a summer movie, and this three feet of snow oh, showed up. So, wow. So we ended up wow. basically French reversing everything. We we uh, I had the the crew put down you know dug out all the snow and put down peat moss and knocked snow out of the trees, and we French reversed, meaning that we shot pretty much everything in the same direction because trees are trees, of course. So when you're doing a forest movie, everything's going to look the same in in, in any direction. So you've got to definitely pre-plan what you're going to do. And, I, you know, I do drawings. I've been notorious for doing silly cartoons most of my career with guys with big noses. I'm not sure why that is, but all the guys have big noses in my cartoons. So I do little storyboards of things and write down how I plan to cover it and 
and, I, and like I say, the contingency plan for what happens if that doesn't work. And, you know, quite often, and I've told this story a lot of times, I've worked in episodic TV where the, the producers will come in and say, how many shots have you got left today? You know, you've got two hours left in the day. Oh, well, let's see, I've got, uh, I look at my shot list, I've got uh, seven shots. Uh, okay, well, you've got time for three of them. So it's it's a, like the mental gymnastics of thinking, sure. how am I going to do this with three? And then, of course, what ultimately happens is, ah, sorry, I lied, you actually got time for one. So it's it's I think what 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 happens after you know thirty years of direct, directing episodic is you've got to think so fast on your feet that you can redirect and replan stuff at any occasion. You've got to figure out how to make those seven shots one shot if you had to, and uh, obviously shooting two cameras helps. Sometimes I'll I'll run a scene, you know. Well, quite often this is what happens in episodic TV. This isn't something I created, but you'll run a scene two or three times just continuously. Okay, reset, go back to one. People go back to the start of the scene and action. The scene happens over again, and you're busy running around repositioning the cameras to try and get you know, whatever uh, whatever other possible angles you can within the scene. And that's a trick I've been using for years. And Like I said, it's not something I invented, but it's something that you just have to do because it's the nature of episodic TV. You, don't, you only have so long. You know, feature films have a little bit more latitude. You, you've got a little more time sometimes on days, but television happens in 11 hours, and at the 11th hour, the thing is shut down and you go home, and you've got to get the scenes fixed and finished. Wow. Um, and that, that is that is, uh, that is cool. I, I'm glad that you shared that. And, and uh, I wanted to uh, further ask, is... Uh, Tips or suggestions for keeping your cool? Because I mean, you're you obviously have a, a lot on your plate as a director. You've got you know a, an entire. I mean, I I have worked with a lot of independent film uh, directors who and or producers who just you know are completely kind of over the top. I think sometimes they've watched too many Hollywood movies about what they think you know these tyrannical people should be. <laughs> I've never, I've never, I don't think I've ever raised my voice on a set in 30 years. I don't believe in so the whole how do you, screaming. How, how do you do that? It's Canadian. I'm Canadian. That's what it is. <laughs> That's what I'll claim. How do I do that? Uh, yeah, I mean, in other words, you know, in other words, I think it's an attitude. It's, it's an approach. Well, it's, it's more than. It's, yeah, it's a personality thing too. I mean, I just. Uh-huh. This will sound really idealistic, but I loved making movies so much in my teens that I still go on sets and I'm thrilled to be there because I think, isn't this fun that we get to do this? We get to make movies every day. I mean, we're making yeah. movies, you know, and I mean, you could be being shot at in Afghanistan and we're making movies, you know? And I just think, I just think it's, uh, it's, it's a, we're, we're blessed to be able to have this, uh, this career. I mean, I'm always, I'm always surprised that I get paid to do this because I still love doing it. So I think a, that's probably number one is just the personality is that you've got a little kid in a, in a director body who's really just loves being there, you know, and I still have, I still have fun making movies and I still think it's just a, it's just a kick to be able to do this for a living. So that's number one. Uh-huh. Number two is probably the Canadian part because we're all incredibly polite as you have probably heard. That's true. And, uh, I just, I don't see the point in it's a, it's a management technique, you know, I and mean, some people yell and scream and they get instant results and then they get long-term kind of hatred. Sure. And it's, it's not something that I ever thought was a really good motivator for working with people so it's not a technique i've used yet i may i may start though i may have to take they have anger management classes i wonder if they have anger just anger classes learn how to be yeah, angry. How to get angry. <laughs> but yeah, no it's not, it's not it's not a skill i want to learn the ranting and raving david winning yeah. um yeah you know i mean i i think what 
I mean, I can talk from my own life. I think most times when people get angry, you know, in a situation where they're they're working, you know, they're focused not on what they're doing, but on you know some future consequence of their actions or inactions at the time. Well, and so they've actually exactly. split their attention. Exactly. Well, anger comes from fear, and it becomes from yeah. insecurity. I mean, you get angry because you lost your way, and. Uh, freak out, which is why the pre-planning helps, because if you're so pre-planned, you just fall back to whatever your other contingency plan is, and if something doesn't work, then you just shoot it a different way. Um, I think a lot of directors kind of survive on that that kind of edge of what if things go wrong, you know, because you, you are kind of planned for any any alternate, and uh, at, least I, at least I try to be. Some things have surprised me over the years, but I like to try to imagine that I've, that I've planned it. As, as well as I can. And as I was saying with the shot list is, you, you, you know, you direct it once on paper and then you direct it again on paper a different way. And then the thing that I've found most difficult is to try to, to step back from it before you actually start shooting and look at the way you've planned to, to shoot a scene or how you're planning to, to, to get the project done and decide if you're still on the same wavelength as what you originally got inspired by the project. You, you know, it's very easy to fall into sort of a a standard way of shooting a scene, but you kind of have to step back and, and look at it from a distance and think, is this, is this really how I was planning to make this movie when I got inspired in the original, you know, the original spark or whatever happened that got me drawn to the project. And that's always tough to do because you get so into the details of making a show and getting it done and working out the politics and making sure they like you and, you know, bonding with the crew. And then you got to make sure that you're still actually making what you wanted to make. That's an excellent point. Excellent point. Uh, with your career, you know, it, it, there's a lot of sci-fi, a lot of, you know, of... of uh, <laughs> What's wrong uh, with sci-fi, Rex? Come on. No, nothing's wrong with it. I was just going to ask because when when you started, you you kind of did some myth-busting, you know, that, that directors sit around and wait for calls. You know, you chase down projects, you, you know, have agents, you know, who are representing you or, you know, people, you know, that kind of thing, uh, to, to keep working. Um, but you get you've got a lot, I mean you you got a lot of great sci-fi I mean Andromeda and Stargate Atlantis and Earth the Final Conflict I mean a lot of this is, is that is that um is that because that's what you're interested in or is that how it you became interested or that's how it turned out or it's kind of a, a mixture of both you know I mean obviously directing careers are very you, you get pigeonholed for years I mean sure. I it's just I've gone through a whole I I did you know I started out doing action thrillers which was kind of my it's kind of the thing I wanted to do. I, you know, Marathon Man, uh, the, the Dustin Hoffman, Lawrence Olivier movie from the 70s was, was something that I saw. It just made such an indelible mark on me. I thought, I really want to make this kind of movie because I thought action thrillers were kind of really where it's at. And I still feel like that. And, you know, I started, I, the first television thing I did was Friday the 13th. So there's some horror, right. scary stuff in there, too. And then I, I kind of fell into kids television for three or four years. Uh, a lot of Nickelodeon series, Goosebumps, Afraid of the Dark, um, Sweet Valley High and Breaker High with Ryan Gosling and all these kind of shows, and you get you get into that category, and then people think, oh, that's what he does, that's his thing. He does kids television, and then I immediately did this kind of whiplash break and went into uh, kind of erotic thrillers. With uh, I did a movie uh, called uh, Profile for Murder with Lance Henriksen and uh, Joan Severance in '95. Uh, produced in Vancouver, and, and then that throws you in another whole direction. And you know, those those are the shows. Of course, my mom can't watch. And uh, then then I got back into. I think I did like a couple of westerns, and then in uh, I did a series called Twice in a Lifetime for Pax, which was like the Canadian version of Touched by an Angel, which is uh -huh. a great show. Mom watched that boy. 
<laughs> that runs on the on the women's network in Canada runs all the time. Great series, very proud of it. Really, really nice. I don't want to use the word wholesome, but like really good, good stories, really good drama about people having a second chance at life to correct mistakes. And it was a great series. Very proud of that. And then I kind of flipped into uh, Earth Final Conflict in Toronto, which kind of shot me down the sci-fi tunnel again. And uh, and then I've been in sci-fi land for six, seven years now. And I, you know, I've done a couple of the creature features for Sci-Fi Channel and. So it's not, and and is is it by choice? I think you know. Well, my favorite movie of all time is uh, is still two thousand and one. I'm a I'm a huge. I'm, I guess I guess uh, I was a huge sci-fi fan as a teenager. Uh-huh. Huge fan of Silent Running, Bruce Dern movie, which was kind of weird because then you know thirty years later I was sure. directing Bruce Dern and Swamp Devil in Montreal, cool. which is one of the sci-fi channel movies. And believe me, I'm like a five, like a ten year old working with these guys. Like I'm trying not to be too excited, you know. The guy from Silent Running, you know, but uh, so that that's a good experience. But um, no, I'm, I'm proud of the sci-fi work. I kind of I, I like to, I like to do everything. And the, the problem is you get you get a long career happening, and people don't know where to put you because they, there's a tendency to think, well, is he does he do drama? Does he do police? I mean, I've done everything kind of now, and it's only because I've, I've lived long enough to have done all these different kind of genres. But uh, so you know, you just you have to you have to break out and always try to do something different and I've kind of got a bit of everything in my demo reel which makes it tricky to for the agents to figure out how to brand you because there's a tendency to always brand people when they're trying to sell them you know so I don't know if that answers your question but I've been all over the map Rex yes and 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 uh, again it goes back to the myth busting and the the idea you know that uh, you're I think almost you know, unless you have, unless you're Steven Spielberg, you know, I mean, it's the kind of thing that you're you're following a career and you're shaping your own career, and and there are other forces that kind of impinge on it, and some of those forces are the work that you've done, you know, and how people try and pigeonhole or can't pigeonhole, and I think, you know, so many actors, for example, go, well, I don't want to be typecast, or you know, I do this. Uh, I, on the other hand, go, well, yeah, typecast me at least for a while. <laughs> well, I just, I mean, I just, we all just want to work, you know, and the truth yeah. is, it's all. It doesn't matter if it's a kids show or a western, a sci-fi or a thriller or whatever it is. It's all entertainment, you know, in some form. Yeah. And uh, and I I'm, <laughs> I get to the stage now where a lot of people like I've gone to meetings with executives. I was I won't say where the studio was, but I was at a meeting about a month ago, and the executive is like you know young guy, looks like he's thirty and thirty-ish or something, and he said, you know, I loved Afraid of the Dark, that show you did for Nickelodeon, scared the heck out of me this episode. And I thought, how old were you when you said it was? I I was like nine. You know, oh, just makes me feel old. But uh, it's nice to <laughs> it's nice to hear that people watched your stuff. So that's very cool. That's very very cool, David. We're at that point where I'm going to have to take a break. I'm certainly enjoying this, and I know that our listeners are as well. I'm going to take a short break and tell people what's coming up. We're going to remind them that your website is davidwinning.com. Again, davidwinning.com, and go check it out. It's an excellent site. You've got your real and different things. I mean, you know, different. Film and, and all sorts of stuff up there, so you should definitely check that out. We'll come back and talk again in just a, a moment. And uh, thanks so much for being here. Okay, you bet. Thanks, Rex. All right. Uh, that was Mr. David Winning, and we're going to come right back. You're listening to Rex Sykes Movie Beat. The official URL is R-E-X-S-I-K-E-S dot com. Again, that's my name. Please do remember that all these uh, interviews record live, and then they're stored, archived at. Uh, 
at uh, the website, and they're also available as podcasts at the iTunes Store. I always encourage people to subscribe to the podcast because then you're sure never to miss an interview. Download it to your favorite electronic device, take it with you wherever you go. And I always encourage people to leave comments, both whether you're listening live or archived at, at the player site and and for the uh, uh, podcast. And um, be, again, feel free to email me anytime you want through the website to ask questions uh, of my guests. If you're in the chat room, you can always ask questions of my guests. If you have it, I'll try and answer those, get those answered while while we're on the air. Um, and my upcoming guests are Kurt Abduhan is coming up on the 24th. He is a cinematographer, Emmy Award-winning cinematographer. Uh, he was a cinematographer behind a, a, another award-winning documentary, uh, Amarosa. Sorry about that. And uh, and so I'm really looking forward to talking to him about camera and camera technique and cinematography. And he also uh, works in documentary and feature films and, and uh, has worked in commercials and everything. So we're going to talk to him about that. Paul Weber is a casting director. He's been on the show before. He's coming back. And uh, we'll be chatting with Paul on the 26th. Cassidy McMillan is a director. She's done uh, a number of work. She's also an actress. But she's got a, a very fascinating uh, documentary on bullying and bully side. So, and it's a current, you know, hot topic now uh, in, you know, everything from grade schools on up. So uh, I'm interested in talking with Cassidy. Melissa Scoff will be returning. She's a casting director as well. She's going to come up on the 1st of February. Betty Jo Tucker is a, a film critic and an author and a film movie fan. She'll join us on the 2nd of February. We then have uh, Jeff Greenstein. He's directed uh, television like Friends and Parenthood and uh, Desperate Housewives and Will and & Grace. And he'll join us. And Peter Marshall is going to come back on the 9th. We're going to continue our director series and with Peter. So that will take us up until about mid-February, in which case uh, we may have a little bit of a hiatus. I'm going to be traveling back and forth to Los Angeles. And uh, whether I do remote shows or not, I am unsure of. But during that time, you can also go back and listen to all of the archive shows that you have not yet heard. So, um, again, you're listening to Rex Sykes Movie Beat. My guest is Mr. David Winning. Uh, Rex, so, did you actually did you actually forget your name in the intro? I think I heard you forget your own name. Did that happen? <laughs> are you are you that famous? <laughs> I, I forget who I am sometimes. You know, I I think I'm not. You know what? It, 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 <laughs> when I look at the different things I have to look at. It's it's amazing that I would get hung on my own name. That you would think should be a no brainer. <laughs> <laughs> Who are you listening to? Oh, you're listening to me. You know, to me no, I, I at that moment I was like, What the heck? Who what was yeah. I saying? So, well your your own name is something you don't actually use that often if you think about it. It's other people. That's that well this is true. I, yeah, I yeah, I'm gonna start doing that though. So now now thanks David. Now I'll I'll never forget. I'll walk down <laughs> Rex Sykes, you're thirsty. Rex Sykes, go get some coffee. Well you I'll, said I'll, Rex and I heard this pause and I thought, Sykes <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> yeah, good, good good prompting there, you know. Yep. Uh, well that's that's um <sighs> What else now, do you want to talk about? <laughs> How about how about so we were talking again before about TV and uh, and what was you know you you were mentioning what I love listening to you is is you say everything is entertainment and I'm this kid and so you know whether I'm doing kid shows or westerns or I'm doing you know action thrillers which you know I love and, or you know my favorite movie is this um, you know it comes it comes from you your enthusiasm you know, and and your attitude toward 
the business and what you do um, is very cool. It is refreshing and it is nice. And I and I and, I, and uh, uh, pardon the pun, but it is a winning attitude. And and that's what never heard that. That's very original. I'm that? sure you never heard that. Well, uh, I, I just think you know, and it's not. I mean, I just think if you get jaded in this business, that's that's. If you're wondering when should I quit, that would be the moment because it's hard enough to not do it without just kind of being thrilled by it. I mean, I still love going to the movies. I still love watching TV shows. You know, I still get a, a tickle out of meeting these stars that I grew up watching and oh, yeah. getting to work with them. And, uh, I mean, it's got to be palpable. If it doesn't come from me, where does it come from? You know? Any, let me ask you this, uh, and, and you don't have to say any names, but, but, but given the fact that you have... You know, moved around in so many different series and so many different venues and, and so many different situations. Have you ever encountered the the nightmare actor, the nightmare producer? You know, the the people who boy, think, you know, they, they don't. I think, just, I think I just heard my lawyer on the other line. Uh, <laughs> well, uh, yes. Well, that's why I said don't you don't 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 you don't refer to anybody. But uh, no, of course not. I would never do that. Um, right. my, but, my close if, friends, my close friends uh, know that list. Actually, it's four people. And I will never reveal that list other than in the inner circle. But, well, of course, you're going to run into people that are not happy at where they are in their stage of the career. But, you know, it's again, I mean, to go back to my Canadianism, it's a challenge that's presented to you to get them excited again about what they're doing. And I've certainly worked with uh, not very often, to be honest. I mean, it's uh, most people are still kind of jazzed about what they're doing, but you occasionally will run into somebody who just is in a bad place in their life and they didn't get as famous as they wanted or, you know, which is kind of everybody's story, right. you know, right. like uh, nobody's quite where they want to be in life, but you're, you're struggling along and you're trying to climb the ladder and get to somewhere you think is going to make you happy, which is kind of a myth in itself, but, you know, you just right. keep working. So I've definitely worked with some people that I had to, try to use whatever psychology training I have to try to help them into getting them into a happier place. Because my, my whole thing is about getting people as relaxed and comfortable as they can because that's when they do the best work. And then so the director ends up looking better, you know, because the people were right. really excited about a show. And they say, oh, I love doing that show up in Canada. I didn't think I was going to have any fun. And it was a riot. And the director was uh, goofy. And that would that'd be me. And, uh, you know, he made it uh, made it fun. And that's kind of my job. I'm, I'm a ringleader, you know. I'm trying to bring the circus elements all together and make it just as, as entertaining as it can be. So, how did I, how did I deflect that question brilliantly? Come on, that was pretty good, huh? Brilliant. Didn't mention, brilliant. I didn't mention a name or anything. No, you didn't, and I wasn't looking for a name. What I, what, what I, and what I was looking for was along the lines of what you said, and, and I'd like to delve deeper if I can. And sure. that is that um, that your job, you know, I mean, is to get the story on the screen, obviously, visually, and, and, and orchestrate these components and, and make sure that they're all there and that you, know, you have a storytelling job to do when you're working in the editing. But you've got the, the performers and the, the performances to, uh, you know, a, a attempt to support or elicit or Coke. guide. Coax. Coax is the word I love, yeah. And, 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 and that's why I asked with you know from the start of of the difficult person. There are difficulties for different reasons. Sometimes people are are angry. Sometimes people are afraid. Sometimes people don't trust. Sometimes people are insecure. You know they're insecure. Um, you know I'm trying to think of different you know actor reasons for not doing their best. How, you know and so either overcoming somebody who's being kind of jerkish or 
coaxing somebody into uh, coming out of the shell. What, what? How do you? How do you? What? Do you have any psychological tips or any suggestions that you can give other directors? Um, Make them laugh. <laughs> I mean, I just well, right I've, no. I've spent my career trying to be goofy and funny and keep you know even in these heavy dramatic shows that I've done, I've tried to be kind of uh, startle, startlingly odd and strange when I'm directing, so people have a good laugh and have a fun time. Honestly, because it's a kind of an atmosphere that's very delicate, and you've got to create a great place for people to work in. It's like a cocoon. It's got to be very safe, and it's got to be positive. And um, sure, everybody's got bad days. I mean, I have bad days, but I hide them, you know, because certainly when I'm directing, because I don't have any choice. And you've uh-huh. been paid to be there, and you're being, you know, you've been given this responsibility of delivering a project regardless of what you're you may be facing and so you have to kind of see that other people have bad days too obviously and sure i've been in the i I remember being in the going to the trailer and i won't mention the actress's name but it was going to the trailer at four in the morning and she'd refused to shoot a scene and you know and then you discover that what what it was really about was you know holding producers ransom because they didn't want to they said they were going to give such and such uh things to her in the contract and it wasn't coming so her way of blackmailing people or you know blackmailing whatever slowing down the process was to refuse to shoot the critical ending scene which i suppose ultimately is a brilliant power play it's not it's not a way i would ever do anything but you can understand why people people use these tricks and techniques and you just have to kind of go with the flow i guess i've been really lucky because i haven't had to face a lot of uh a lot of situations like that. I've had a couple of those standard go to the knock on the trailer kind of moments, but uh, but like you said, you know, anger and frustration is all. It, it's about like we talked about earlier. It's all about fear. It's all based on fear and insecurity. And so, if you're creating an environment where people are going to do their best work, then hopefully you alleviate all those concerns and you alleviate them early on, early in the prep period, so that you can anticipate what things may irk actors or actresses or what somebody may. You know, not not want to not want to do or feel uncomfortable about, and you try to make sure that it's discussed early on and prepped for, so that there's no surprises. But of course, there's always surprises. <laughs> this is true, or they wouldn't be surprises. Yeah, surprise. Uh, yeah. yeah. What I again, what I appreciate so much about this is, and I, and I'll share an anecdotal thing from from my experience, and that is that. Um, I would say I lived haphazardly, you know, uh, the first half of my life, and uh, maybe even longer than that, maybe the first third. And then there was a, there came a point when I went, you know what, I'm on this rock, and uh, it's as far as I know. I mean, maybe I'm reincarnated, or maybe I go to heaven or hell, maybe whatever, or maybe nothing. Uh, as far as I know, I got one shot at it here, and the rock is a kind of cool place. It's pretty. It's like a garden, you know. And in a garden, there's like some bad stuff, and there's some good stuff. But but it's my garden. You know, and finally decide that I own this planet. I, I share it with other people, obviously, but but I'm an owner just by virtue of being here. And I don't I don't mean that in a territorial sense. Like I, I'm not like you know get out of my yard or I'm going to walk through anybody else's. But but this is my experience. It's my one time here. I'm an owner of my experience, my planet, my garden. So it better be the best I can I can have. You know, I want it. And yes, things will come along and, and destroy it. Uh, some moments and other things will be deliciously incredible that I had never ever could anticipate, but it, it became a point of choice at that point. Like, how do I want to respond to the rest of the day? And I think what I hear from you, you know, is, is where you say, yeah, I want to, you know, there's anything that could go wrong on a set, and there's all sorts of personalities, and there's there's temperaments and things. But if I can make it this kind of fun, 
kind of safe haven, this this place that people enjoy if they can laugh. And laughter more than anything is freeing for people. You know, if, if a person can laugh about their troubles, first off, they don't really have troubles anymore. You know, because I mean, they're laughing about them. It's a whole different experience now. Uh, you know, and kind of like that saying, you know, you look back on that at laugh, and then sure enough, you know, I can't believe I did that when I was 22 years old, you know, and you laugh about it now, but then it was very serious. So sure. it's very freeing. So that that kind of climate, that kind of um, um, atmosphere that you create, uh, I, I, you know, I, I've got to say, it's such an incredible experience as as a as a film person to be on a set like that and uh, I can't say that I've been on lots of them where it's like that but I've been on a few where they're nice you know they're pleasant and it's easy going and, and I think to for the listeners to endeavor to create that experience for the, for their crew and for their cast is is uh, um, going to put them way ahead of the game you know, Rex, it's it's really vital. I mean, that's that's how anytime anytime that environment hasn't been created on one of my sets, which is pretty rare, if things have not worked out the way I wanted them to. It's just it's absolutely important. One of the reasons I wanted to do your show is because I think my my purpose now is to try to re-inspire people because I'm also trying to re-inspire myself because obviously I've done episodic TV and other people's movies for years and years. And I'm trying to get back to my roots to do, you know, my own movies. Sure. And, uh, which is kind of where I started. I wanted to make my own stories. And, and I think it's just real, it's really important to try to inspire people to realize that it's not impossible. I mean, I was, I can remember clearly being 20, 21, 22 thinking, well, I guess I'll go to film school and then maybe I'll make my first feature when I'm 30 and maybe I'll do, you know, and I kind of had this little plan and, and I remember just, you know, grabbing life by the horns when I was 22 and saying, no, I'm going to do it this summer. Why don't I do it this summer? I got all this film school money. This is before I had to pick my dad up off the floor. But I said, Dad, you know, here's here's the new plan. Let's just make it now. And it just seems so much easier to and cheaper potentially to be able to do that now for young filmmakers and go out and make their first movies and and just get out there and do it. I mean, it's just, and if you fail the first time, just forget it and start over again. You know, I was... I was very lucky Storm wasn't a failure for me. It could have easily been, and it could have led to something else and a different life. But, uh, you know, just it's just you got to get out there and, and tell your stories. And, your, you know, people, everybody has an original story to tell, and everybody should have the opportunity if they want to make movies to get out there and just try and, and make it happen. There, I'm, that's the end of my sermon. I'm getting off the box. So. <laughs> no, no, I love it. Now, when you say you're trying to... Um come back to your roots are you writing now or well, I've always I've, you know I've always been writing I've always been uh I'm I'm kind of a better I'm not a bad writer but I'm a better script doctor so I've been I've been optioning projects over the last few years for things that I want to try to get going again cuz it's just it's a lot you know you want to get get back to your roots in the sense that you have creative control over something again I mean obviously I have a lot of creative control working as an episodic director and and doing these MOWs but you know, the base material isn't really yours and you're not kind of, you know, uh, nurturing it along from an, from an earlier stage. So that's really what I'm trying to get back to is, and it's going to happen. I'm trying to get, I'm trying to get some independent production happening back in Canada this summer. And, uh, you know, that it's, it's, it's kind of like you, you did a round detour for 30 years of directing other people's material, which is incredibly lucrative and incredibly educational. And I wouldn't be the director I am without having all these amazing, you know, wonderful experiences that were given to me by, by other people. But I, 
I really want to get back to telling, you know, some of my own stories and in my own way. And, uh, and like I say, hey, it's easier now, so it shouldn't be the struggle that it was in my 20s, except you have slightly less energy when you're, when you're older. <laughs> well, it, it, you know, yeah, things have changed a little bit, though, I mean, in, in terms of financing and distribution and things like that. Do you, do you have you uh, – in can, when I started, I said earlier, uh, let's, let's talk about then versus now. Is there uh, – uh, are you more optimistic about today? Or less optimistic, or maybe those are the right choice of words. But I mean, there are there are differences in today's movie making world and how things get you know on, to an audience. And yet, there's well, I think there's avenues. also there's so many more avenues for where the film can be run too. I mean, the the whole business seems to be turning to the web, uh, where you know people can develop you know series and serials and uh, uh, you know all sorts of movies that can be just presented strictly on the on the on the internet or on on people's phones, you know, it's, it's, it's a whole different world. I mean, I just, I'm always, I'm, I'm all boggled by the way technology has changed. I just, this thing you mentioned right at the beginning of this uh, web series that we, we'd shot up in uh, Whitehorse in the Yukon far north uh, last year. It was shot in, you know, 235 widescreen cinemascope, beautiful vistas in the Yukon. And most people watch it on their cell phones, which just, wow. it shocks me. It's like, I, because I remember, you know, when I was a kid, it was like go to the theater to see the big screen, and right, right. I, I know, and, and now, now people are watching this on their, on their, on their PDAs and phones. It's just odd. It's, it's, the world's changed. But uh, I mean, it seems to me that that would be exciting for filmmakers coming up because it's just. I mean, I was, ex- you know, when I when I grew up, it was like there was twelve channels on TV, and then yep. as I got older, suddenly it was like satellite came in, and there was three hundred channels, and and now it's. It's endless the kind of venues where where movies can be run, and I know, I think, even I don't know if Netflix has started this, but I, I think Netflix has has had mentioned something about uh, starting a, a like a low budget feature company and stuff because they want to they want to create their own product really, and it just seems to me like uh, the possibilities are out there, you know. So I think I would be excited if I was 23 starting today. There, yeah, I'm trying to remember who it was, and, and maybe somebody will help refresh us before the show is over. Somebody, oh, like Hulu just announced that they were going to start creating uh, content, I believe. Yeah, that's exciting. And, and, yeah, I mean, there's so many different places now, and, and there are things being made just for the phone now. I mean, you're making movies for the, <laughs> you know, who'd have thought? I know. But, uh, but it, it is amazing. So, uh how would uh, how would you uh, advise someone else if they wanted to get into the cycle of TV directing? Uh, what's the best advice? You, you started, you made a movie, and, and that led. Obviously, they have to they have to do something. Um, well, you need, but, you need yeah, you need to have a calling card. You need to have a video, and a, a, it's basically a commercial to show that you can direct things. And and when I did Storm in my twenties, that was that was the only calling card I had, and. I think, you know, literally, I mean, it's it's happy accidents, too, is how my career started. I mean, Friday the 13th uh, was, the, as I mentioned, was a serious shooting in Toronto, and they, they had a director who fell out, someone got sick or something. So the production manager literally went through the Director's Guild book, which I had just joined that, like, six months earlier because of Storm, went through the Director's Guild book, and they're literally looking, you know, they're looking through the thing, like, who can we get? And they saw the name Winning. Sounds positive. Let's hire the guy. Whatever. So I, I literally just fell into this job because someone got oh, sick, wow. or, and 
and then of course obviously your resume builds and and you get more and more things to show that the secret is to try to have the most variety as i mentioned earlier on your on your reel so that people think well he can handle anything you know hopefully there any different kind of genre so what people have to do is they have to go out i mean i i guess the best way to start is just make a short film or a commercial or make a trailer for the movie that you eventually want to shoot and make it the best you can and use that as your calling card to try to get into that cycle of episodic tv i mean believe me i'm not i don't know if i'm the best person to give advice because i've i'm in and out of that cycle off and on it happens all the time you have to kind of rebuild your career every year and reintroduce yourself to new producers all the time because the 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 whole uh, industry is just in flux and people are just changing i mean there's never the executives are never the same when i go to these interviews at the studios year to year so it's like starting all again uh-huh I start um, all over again. What about with actors? I mean, as a director, I mean, I have a lot of casting directors come on the show, and and they talk about what you know casting directors expect. What about what about you? I mean, you you cast you, a lot of it's name talent, but obviously there's other people in the movie. When when it comes to you, is there some advice that you can give actors if, or let's say there was an actor who's going to come in and audition for uh, something you're doing this summer, you know, and um, what advice would you give the actor or about their reel? Like, for example, some people will say, don't have all sorts of different things on your actor reel. Just you have like your drama stuff or you have a comedy reel, have, have multiple reels, but don't put it all in one. Um, well, I, I tend to, I actually believe that it's good to have variety, but the big thing with, uh, with reels is they got to be short because me and everybody else, we have really short attention spans. And it's like, I, you know, in the old days, I used to, I remember the mistake I made as a director is I had a director's reel and it was like 15 minutes long or something. And then I eventually realized what you need is like a 90-second bumper of your absolutely best. I mean, obviously you're not going to get everything into your, to your reel in 90 seconds. Actor's reels are a little different, but I think, I don't think anything longer than two or three minutes, to be honest, is is going to help you out. And I think one of the things I tell actors is it's the, the little secret of casting is that most directors and producers will pick an actor for a part the second they walk in the room. It's like a person walks into the room and it's like, oh, that guy looks great. He'd be great for the part. Jeez, I hope he can act. And it's almost like the acting is almost secondary to the very first impression that you make when you walk in the room. Which is a lot of pressure to put on a person because obviously that's when you're you're most nervous when you're walking into the tribunal trying to get trying to get a job. But uh, and you know sometimes in in my career you've been auditioning actors and they'll come in and you'll think no this guy's wrong for it anyway sit down read and the read will be so amazing and such a kind of a different original take on a on a scene that they'll end up getting the part anyway which is always kind of exciting. But uh, so I don't know if that helps but it's it's definitely. Uh, shorter reels are better, and I think I think varieties can be a good thing. Well, I think the the the, the point that you made that oftentimes people are cast just for walking in and acting as secondary um, can be construed both as wow, cool, and oh, that sucks. Uh, in that, you know, if if people should celebrate who they are then and go, you know, I'm the only me I got, so here I am. And if you happen to be in the market for that particular me, then they might get the role based on absolutely. On it's, the it's, it's, it's the worst. It's the worst example of judging a book by its cover. I always think. But I, it always, is. I, I feel sorry for actors because I always think you know you walk into a room and they 
it's like they do you do the best you can and the producers say no no it's it's okay we just don't like the way you look or sound right it's like i don't know how you can take a deeper hit okay fine that's good um well, the advice for actors is just you got to audition 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 just constantly constantly try to get you know just and if you don't i mean i when i was trying to sell storm this is the part of the the serious side of the business it took me two and a half years to sell my first feature and I have a I have a binder at home with like probably two hundred plus rejection letters. Wow. And it was like the two hundred and first one that said, Yeah, okay, we'll buy the film. You know, and you just have to keep going and go I mean, what else are you gonna do? You can't stop. And if you're an actor and you really love the business, you just audition and audition and audition. And if you get discovered when you're sixty and you win an Oscar when you're sixty five, then I guess all those decades were worth it, I suppose, you know. No, that's very cool. I, I I don't remember who it was, but one of my guests said made the statement that the actors, for the most part, are always in a hurry. They always think they should be successful now. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I, and I I remember being, you know, if I don't make it by the time I'm 25, and I think I was 25, you know, make, making those statements. Uh, and and at the point being that you, you might have a career when you're 50 or 60 or, or even 70, and if that's what it happens, that's what it happens. I mean, so you might as well enjoy your life along the ride. You know, we always used to ask ourselves, you know, if you knew you were going to make it when you were 70, what would you do in the meantime? Exactly. And, ask and, Colonel uh, Sanders that. Or, you know, right, right. <laughs> people who do success late, late in life. It's still it's still worth it and it's still fulfilling. It's just, it, and, who'd, and who'd want to see the future anyway? It's got to be a big surprise what happens. It should be. I, I agree with you. I think the thing that also uh, is very relevant is that what you said, you know, is that it's judging the book by a cover, and then and that the actors I think need to know that that's the process more so than anything else. I think when I was a young actor in my teens, you know, as a kid I was acting from about the time I was three, but by the time I got into my teens and I started getting professional work and, and union work and stuff like that, it was it became a whole different ball game. And suddenly it was you were too tall, too short, too good looking, too bad looking, too fat, too thin, you know. Sure. You know, every and it, and it was hard not to take it personally. Whereas, if I were selling a vacuum cleaner, people would tell me where the features and benefits are good, or where their features and benefits don't live up to what they want. Exactly. And it's the vacuum cleaner, and I could, you know, I mean, they didn't want my vacuum cleaner. I shouldn't take it personally. <laughs> um, well, I think actors know, but, actors have to have incredibly thick skin and very short memories. That's what Betty Davis true. said. Yeah, I, I, I agree, and so I, so the the point that that I'm just elaborating on, I guess, is is that um, you can't you can't take it personally if if you aren't what they're looking for. It's not it, again. It goes back to maybe the the comments we made earlier about not rejecting but selecting, and you made a selection. So hang in there and do what you love anyway, and and uh, and hopefully your time will come. I, I mean, I think that. The, that you have provided so far so much wonderful insight into different aspects of the film business and into, you know, literally a psychology behind it and, and what people can do and what people can expect. We've got about, you know, maybe um, 10 minutes on the outside here left, David, and uh, I want to give you a chance to, to discuss or to talk about anything that, that uh, you'd like to talk about. You've got so many different things, and um, you know, in your background and and um, we certainly haven't touched on, on on any of them in great depth. But and I would love to give you the opportunity. I also want to ask if you come back for another show in, in the future. Oh, absolutely, so Rex. I'd love to. I'd love to if I can provide any of any interest or insight. I, I'm not sure I'm doing that because it's still early in. Like I said, it's <laughs> early in California. My brain isn't clicking in yet. 
know your brain and, is doing and my, vo- you my voice you. will sound much better later today, but of course you'll be gone, so it won't matter. We'll uh, have to call you later in the day. <laughs> later today. See, I don't sound so froggy. Um, <laughs> no, I just uh, it's it's been an interesting ride. I'm I'm proud of having been able to survive in this business for three decades now, and you know I'm I'm still inspired that there's going to be some cool and fun, exciting stuff ahead. So I'm I'm looking forward to what happens. And and like we already discussed, I am trying to get back into independent production because that's really where the rush is. And, uh, and well, let's happen. let's let's keep going with it then. I mean, because I think that that's uh, uh, that's an interesting an interesting hammer. You've done studio work and and independent, but but the independent is 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 where you want to be or pursue at this time. Um, is it is it the amount of control or is it, I mean, you know, in other words, is your project something that you've written or you've developed and, or script doctored and and are able to bring to the table or, or is it just being outside of the system or, or? No, I think it's it's because you feel like you've deviated from your original path because in my 20s it was like I really wanted to be I guess I want to, you know, you think, well, in your 20s, you're going to be, well, when I'm when I'm this age I'm at now, I'm going to be like Spielberg. I'm going to be doing those big movies. And, and because I feel like I deviated from that past, path and did uh, so much television and other people's work, I think I'm trying to get back on course, you know. And I, I'm not unhappy about it. I just think it would be, it, it's inspiring to me and it's kind of exciting to get back to steering the ship the way you want it to go, in a sense. Because really, I mean, I really am at the beck and call of agents and, you know, people call me. I mean, I don't, I get phone call, like I got a call yesterday about a about two different series that are happening in Toronto that are looking at me now, which is great. Really exciting, because I love working with new people. But at the same time, it's not, it's like, okay, there you go in a different direction again. You know, it's not, and so I'm trying to, I'm trying to take the high ground and pull myself back to what I think I really wanted to do when I was in my 20s, which was, was just become kind of a cottage industry and make just movie after movie and just make your own, you know, and because I think by doing that, in a sense, you inspire people, other people to do it, too, because they realize it's possible. You know, it's easy to get jobs and well, it's not easy to get jobs, but it's it's easy to be hired by people and spend other people's money. But trying to get your own stuff together and off the ground and, and, and do the festival circuit, which I'm really proud of. I've done a lot of I've taken a lot of the projects and the work that I've done to festivals, because that's when you really meet the the folks that are, you know, getting new movies out there and. You see, so this kind of a fresh new approach to entertainment, which is always good to find somewhere. So that's probably one of the reasons I'm trying to get back in that pipeline. Well, it's very, it's, it's very, very cool. I want to again mention your website, DavidWinning.com. I mean, there's just a whole host of things there. There's your reel and uh, director's reel. There's you know family and comedies, your action, you know, footage and and just a whole bunch of stories. As, as I say, more than ever, more than anyone will ever want to know about me is on that. Is on that website. It was actually started by a, a couple in uh, California about 12 years ago who were, I guess, fans of my work and, and we had talked and so they put together this great little site for me and I, I just send them updates occasionally but they were, they put together a nice little site which even now seems kind of antiquated because you know websites have changed so much but uh, a lot of people have complimented me and, and them which has been nice over the years that it's got lots of interesting stuff on it Oh no! I mean, you've got great stuff. You've got you know your history and filmography and the reels, the screening room. You got a video store, which is awesome. I mean, you've got your uh, your projects, your DVDs, and different things that they can get from 
uh, Amazon or whatever, a photo album. Uh, <laughs> award like, I, to me. like I said, more than anyone will ever want to know. I, I think I get like a, a, I think I get a penny or something every time someone buys one of those <laughs> movies, which is, hey, you know, I got to put gas in the car. There you go. No, absolutely. Uh, let me ask this. Um, I had a friend who worked for Saban back in probably the 80s when Power Rangers was kind of coming about. I don't know that they had done any of the features yet that that, that you – what did you do the, the 90s? I, did, uh, I, did, I didn't actually do any of the TV series. I did the, sec- the sequel, which came out in 97. It was the sequel to the original Power Rangers movie. And I did the – it's called uh, the, well, Turbo. As the movie phone Turbo, I right. say Turbo, a Power Rangers movie. It's uh, and it came out in '97 and was a pretty big hit for them. And I never did any of the series, but I did a lot of work for. I did Sweet Valley High for Saban as well, and uh, a bunch of. Uh, I think I did a Fox Family Channel movie, which Saban kind of changed into in the in the late '90s. So a bit of work for Saban. Well, I want to ask you the question about all of the the stunt work uh, for the for the Rangers and the, my kids. You know, growing up, uh, my son was a huge Power Ranger fan. Of course, he had to have all the Power Ranger toys and and the videos and the and we watched the show and they must have had fifty different series. I mean, they just went Power Ranger this, Power Ranger. That. <laughs> it went on and on. It was a it was an industry of Power Rangers. Oh my goodness, it really was. It, and 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 different casts and everything else, but but uh, certainly high powered and, and and jumping and you know martial arts and the whole thing. So how do you you know? I, I'm always impressed with and I mean you've done other action movies. I'm just asking about this particular one, but but when there's a, action and in in the case of Power Rangers, it's action, but it's not malevolent action. It's not you know a, a gripping thriller R-rated it's, you know. Well, it's kind of like dance actually. It's actually like a choreography, which is really kind of uh, cool. The Power Rangers, these poor guys, they were Japanese acrobats, the original Power Ranger guys. And when I did the movie, uh, you know, the the outfits for the Power Rangers changes, obviously, and, and evolves over the years. And in 97, when we did the movie, the, <laughs> the helmets that were, they were wearing actually had to be screwed shut. Oh, my goodness. Because there was just no place to hide any... Uh, you know, any vent, venting, or I mean, they were breathing, obviously, but these poor guys would do all these stunts and flips, and they were usually good for like three or four takes. <laughs> a couple of them would like pass out, and the stunt guy would run over and unscrew the helmets so oh they could God. breathe. But these guys were so dedicated, and and uh, and I don't think I'm giving away any Power Rangers sec- secrets by people knowing that it's not actually the kids in the right. outfits, but uh, and if, oh, there's my lawyer again on the phone. Never mind. Um, but uh, no, that, that was uh, that was kind of an interesting experience. And amazingly athletic guys. They started in they started the Power Rangers series originally using stock footage from Japan for the series, and then they and then a bunch of really talented folks in L.A. Uh, began to create original material and original stunts. And I think the series has gone on for I don't know fifteen twenty years now. I think they now shoot it in New Zealand. Oh yeah! Wow. Yes. So yes. As a matter of fact, I think they do. It's been all over the world, but I still get you know. People coming up saying, "Wow, Power Rangers! That's cool." <laughs> you know, I think I was very famous with nine-year-olds. I think when the movie came out. But, well, they uh, had. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, no, it was. It was just. It was a. It was a. It was an interesting experience because it was again. It was. It was actually blending a television series with with the movie world, which was which was kind of strange because I, again I had to I had to arrive at the 
directing the movie and the the crew of the television series was like, well, why is this guy here? Why can't we just use our regular directors? So, again, the substitute teacher psychology training came in handy. But uh, it was good. It was a good experience. It's a very talented, very talented group of guys. Wow. Well, that's that's very cool. I um, we're we're just about out of time, and I would I would follow up with more questions on that as well as other questions that I have for you. But uh, in in uh, closing out for today, what I would like to just say is, the, 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 do you have a um, uh, the movie that you want to be doing coming up? Do you, is it a particular genre or something? What what uh, you know, without giving anything away, what is it that uh, is tripping your trigger in that uh, independent arena? Well, I want to do. Uh, I'm trying to do a. Tr- you know, in terms of getting back to my roots, I'm really trying to do the third in a trilogy. I started out in my 20s, obviously making Storm, which was sort of an action adventure about kids' peril in the wilderness, and then the follow-up feature to that was Killer Image, which came out in 1992. Michael Ironside and M. Emmett Walsh. It's a great character actor people remember from Blood Simple. And, sure, sure. Um, Blade Runner and all sorts of great movies. And then the third movie that never happened is the one I'm trying to, one of the ones, one of the projects I'm trying to get going this summer, which is, uh, I can't tell you, it's a secret. <laughs> but it's it's kind of along the same lines. It's, uh, it's uh, I, I love stories about, very much like Marathon Man, about innocent people caught up in, uh, Dangerous, uh, threatening circumstances, and how they and how they best deal with it, and the trials and tribulations, and and uh, hoops they jump through to try to survive. That's kind of always been the basis of what I think is real exciting entertainment. And I'm I'm kind of into I, I like up endings too. I'm not I'm not a down ending guy. I like to be inspiring with the the stuff we make. So kind of I guess that kind of gives away the ending, though, doesn't it? I shouldn't have said that. I shouldn't have told you that last part. But uh, no, so that's, well, we one the, that's one of the things I'm trying to get going for this summer. But very cool, very cool. Well, I sure appreciate you being here today. I know my listeners do too, and and I'm looking forward to the time when we can arrange to have you back. And uh, I just want to wish you the the very best. This has been a very inspiring and a very uh, informative hour, or a little more than an hour. So I really do appreciate that. Thank you, David. Well, thank you, Rex, and thanks for all the work you do for trying to educate and entertain people with your show, too. I mean, this is a lot of work that you do, and you're talking to such a broad spectrum of folks. You should be proud of yourself, and I'm sure your listeners thank you for that. Oh, well, thank you. All right. Well, I will talk to you in a few uh, moments, but but for now we're going to have to say goodbye officially again. It's davidwinning.com. Be sure to go there and check it out, and uh, and David will talk, and uh, we'll have you back. So thank you. Okay. Thank you very much. Uh, Mr. David Winning, a very fascinating guest, and I really appreciate him being here, and I want to thank him, and I want to thank you, the listeners and the readers of Movie Beat. You know, I've got so many more exciting guests coming up in the near future, so be sure to stay tuned, and please keep sharing the website and these interviews with all your friends and contacts. And please do leave comments before you go away. Leave it right there at the player, or if you're listening to this as a podcast, rate and review the podcast. My next guest is Kurt Optipan. Abduhan, and he's a cinematographer. He's going to be joining us on the 24th of January. So be sure to uh, join us then, same time and the same place. And, and and keep tweeting and Facebooking, doing all the wonderful things you do. I love how you support and share and you live tweet and you put it on your Facebook walls and you spread the word. I really do appreciate that. It helps so much. And uh, sometimes 
you know, I tweet something and it's got a, a link that I later find. And Twitter does something, you know, it's like the links work and then you, you, you know, copy it or you retweet it or something and they don't work. And I find out that I've, like, been uh, tweeting a link that doesn't work for, you know, an hour. Uh, so I try and check all that, and you know, they sometimes they have to have fixed links and stuff. So I appreciate all of the support and all the help. Uh, again, go visit davidwinning.com, and uh, David's also on Facebook, so you might want to check him out there as well. Uh, I know he's, I think there's a friends page there and, and his personal profile. Uh, you could become a member or a friend of Rex Ike's Movie Beat Friends at Facebook, and I, and I hope that you will. You can follow us right there or become a friend um, at Blog Talk as well. And uh, I'm on Twitter. It's Rex Sykes Movie BT. Rex Sykes Movie BT, that last word is abbreviated. So join us on Twitter. Also, have a Rex Sykes Movie Beat YouTube channel. And you can take a look at that. It's got some interviews with celebrities and some talking and some different things. And, and so you can go to YouTube and check it out. But anyway, I want you all to have a fabulous day. I want you to make your movies. I want you to complete your projects. And until we meet the next time, that is a wrap. <laughs>